Hey everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Kaitsi. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So we talk a lot on this show about getting involved and, and what it means to be an active union member. One of the things that we always say is that an active member is just simply someone who exercises his or her rights to union representation when their rights have been violated. So we're going to talk about some of those scenarios today that should prompt you to file a grievance. We'll talk about some common issues that that happen all the time. We're going to talk about some hot button issues that are going on right now. But that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about exercising your rights through the grievance procedure. Because this episode is all about the contract, we're not going to do a different dive into the contract. Contract. We're just going to talk about this. So, so what are what are those things? Um, you know, the grievance procedure is is the common thread in every collective bargaining agreement. Every collective bargaining agreement in this country has a grievance procedure in it. It's that one thing, right? Yeah. Using the grievance procedure and exercising your right to union representation is how your voice is heard in the workplace. To effectively utilize the grievance procedure requires that you both understand your rights and know what kinds of things to look out for. Um, So today we're talking about um, those ideas, right? We're going to give you some ideas about what to look for, what kinds of things the company commonly does to violate the contract and violate your rights. Um, so, so that you can play that active part in stopping this activity. Yes. Right. So what kinds of stuff are we talking about? What kind of grievances are we talking about? I think one popular one we see a lot is harassment. Um, you get employees that have a complaint about the way they're being treated by the supervisor. You know, it can come in many different forms. Um, the technical definition would be that it's defined as heavy pressure or intimidation. So that's important, right? It's heavy pressure or intimidation. And I think probably of all the things we're going to talk about today, this is the one that's most commonly mischarged, right? Like people raise their hand and say, I'm being harassed all the time. And almost always they're not really being harassed. Yeah, I think there's definitely a threshold that, you know, you kind of have to cross in order for it to be true harassment. Right. Um, so if you're on your phone playing a game in the middle of the, the assembly area right. and the foreman walks up and says, hey, you know, we need to put the phones away. we got to focus on the job. That's yep. not harassment. Yeah, that's not, not harassment. Not harassment. My foreman told me to go to work. That's right. not no, harassment. Yeah. Your, your supervisor's job is to make sure you're doing your yeah. job. Right. That is your supervisor's job. So when he or she tells you to go do your job, that's not harassment. Yeah. Yeah. Now, on the contrary, a supervisor who sits in a chair and watches you work five feet away, you know, under a microscope and they're only looking at you, not concerned with what anybody else is doing. That could be considered harassment. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's important for people to to be both be discerning about, you know, what really is harassment, but also not be shy about raising their hand, asking for a steward, it, even if you're not sure, right? It, yeah. If if you're being treated in, in a manner that makes you uncomfortable, raise your hand and ask for a steward, yeah, right? Absolutely. He'll, he or she will help you determine whether or not it's harassment. Right. There's no harm in finding out. And we definitely don't want people to get the idea that we're saying, you know, suck it up and, you know, move on. That's yeah. not at all what we want to say. Right. And, and, you know, listen, this kind of activity happens. Uh, I have written in my notes, it happens all the time. I don't know if it happens all the time, but it does happen. 
Yeah, and I think it's important too, you get the steward involved so that way they can have a conversation with management. It might not rise to the the level that meets the threshold for harassment, Yeah, um, but it might be distracting you from efficiently doing your job, in which case it's in the company's interest to try and resolve it. Absolutely. For so sure. There are a lot of times where we have something that's an issue, maybe not necessarily a grievance, but an issue that everybody benefits from working out. And sometimes you can have a quick conversation, just say, hey, you know, I feel like you're, you know, over my shoulder all yeah. day today. Can you give me some breathing room? And a lot of times right. you're going to get the space that you need. Yep. Um, what I want to make sure people understand is that for me anyway, there is a difference between a random employee speaking to you a certain way and your supervisor speaking to you a certain way. Yeah. You know, when, when it's someone who's in a position of authority, that makes a difference. Right. It makes a difference in how they treat you. If it's your boss who's treating you poorly, it it can it can cross that line into harassment a lot quicker. Right. Because they have authority over you. So automatically that the threshold for you being intimidated has been lowered. Right. Yes. And something I'd like to add is um, the supervisor is supposed to treat everybody equally. They can't they can't go after one person and then. Treat somebody else differently. Yep. And I think that's something to watch out for as well. Absolutely. Fair and equal treatment. Yep. And also, when you file a grievance, things shouldn't change. Your your boss shouldn't treat you different. There's a word for that, retaliation. If if you're exercising your rights, look out for that because that's a big no-no. Yeah, because retaliation, listen, and that's important uh, to distinguish, right? Retaliation for filing a grievance is not just a violation of our contract. It's a violation of the law, right? Yep. The law says that management cannot retaliate against you for filing a grievance. So yep. that's a pretty serious um, offense. The other thing I want to point out is we have a lot of intelligent members that are capable of you know, advocating for themselves and representing themselves. We always tell you, call for a steward. Don't yep. represent yourself. Right. Um, you're at a disadvantage when you do that. Even if I need a steward, as a steward, I'm going to call for another steward. No you question. You have power in numbers, and you know, you're, know, I think, susceptible to um, falling into their, their plan here when you don't know what the process is, don't know what your rights are. Yep. Um, and they really do, as time goes on and they see – all right, this is somebody that's going to call for a steward. They're not going to allow me to bully them. They're not going to allow me to harass them. When they identify that you're somebody that's not just going to take it and you're actually going to call for a steward and put them in the procedure, they're going to think twice before they come up to you and harass you. That's right. So you you hit the nail on the head there. What's that, what's that old adage? Um, the man who represents himself has a fool for a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, and it's it's really true. It's not something you should do, and it's not about how smart you are or how savvy you are. Um, it's just the process, right? Yeah. And and it's important to follow this process because it's time tested, right? This is a time tested process, so and it works. Yeah, I had a guy that he, he was getting harassed. He was actually, I think, a QA employee, and he was getting harassed by manufacturing. Mm. And in my opinion, the manager just kind of knew. He could go by, take a quick pop shot at this guy, get the guy going, spinning like a top, and you know move on. And the guy's not going to call for a steward. He's yeah. not going to get in the procedure. Yep. So you know, once the guy learned, all right, if I call for a steward, 
this manager doesn't want to come sit down and discuss this all day. He wants to get back to building the aircraft. He wants us to be focused on the job. Yep. And it made them think twice, this isn't a productive use of our time. Yeah. Right. So so that's the lesson, right? If you're being harassed, especially if you're being harassed by your supervisor or a men- member of management, um, the, the first thing you do is shut that down by requesting a steward. Yeah. I think also we could say there's there's strength in numbers. Yep. Aside from it being the process, I think having your steward there is Yes. It to sends monitor. a message. Yeah. It sends a message. And the last thing, you know, since you said that, Vin, yeah. um, you have to be willing to raise your hand for your coworker yeah. and support your coworker. Absolutely. So if you yep. see a management representative harassing your hourly coworker, it is your responsibility as a union member to be willing to raise your hand and be willing to support that other member. I yes. totally agree. And I think that's something that has to happen more often. People need to stand up. We need to stand up for our brothers and sisters on the shop floor. And unfortunately, when you're the hourly guy or a girl or whatever, um, there's, I think, an additional burden for us to prove that we're telling the truth. You know, the company always assumes their managers and supervisors are telling the truth and that what they're saying is true. But for us, we need 10 people corroborating the same exact version of events for them to even begin to think that it could be true exactly no doubt in fact i just had a case recently um where uh, the the company issued discipline to someone based solely on an email from a supervisor Mm -hmm. no other investigation right they the the supervisor sent hr an email saying this employee did this and that employee was disciplined right Uh, so to your point jason they automatically believe that supervision and management are telling the truth when they speak Right. So um, really important to stick together and um, support one another. So one of the issues that I think is so common and so frequently happens um, that we have to talk about it is uh, misclass. Yeah. Right. Um, And so for those of you who don't know what a misclass is, it's it's technically misclassification of job code. Um, this this happens when the company requires you to perform work that should be assigned to an employee in a higher labor grade, yes, right? Exactly. A higher rated employee. If you're asked to do work that's the work of a higher rated employee, that's a misclass. And this is so common. It's it it's rampant across the company. It happens every day. Yeah, I've right? got a, I've got a handful of them going on right now. And I actually want to thank one of our members. I'm not going to use his name, but one of our members had a misclass about five years ago, a large group of them. Um, this guy was a grievant at the time, grieved the issue, ended up getting promoted as a result of the misclass. We now have a new wave of employees hired in. This is a few years later. And this guy took these employees under his wing, explained to them what the different job codes That's are. Awesome. And now these people, we have about six or seven in the misclass procedure, grieving the same thing. Yep. So this is the kind of like mentorship that I'm talking about. Yep that the Teamsters should be about, where yeah. you're going to teach people the next group, this is the way, you know, that things should be done. Yep. And and listen, you know, the company used to properly assign work on a much more frequent basis than they do now. I mean, the, yeah. the company used to be pretty good at it back, way back years ago, 
um, you know, assigning work according to your your job code. Yeah. They don't do that anymore. They hire people. People come in the door. They kind of assess that person's skill set, and they assign work randomly to that person, right, um, within their occupational group, not within their job code. Yeah, I don't think much of management has a true understanding of the differences in the job codes. Right. That's and the issue. We have a lot of newly hired management and a lot of poorly trained management. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, we do. That's so, so I have an example, and actually, th- this is in Vinny's area, right? Yeah, Vinny yeah. is the steward, um, where it's in the facilities group, where we have labor grade four millwrights. So these are guys that do, you know, fabrication and 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 welding and yes. things like that. But but the the fabrication and the welding is only in the labor grade three write-up. Yep. It is not in the labor grade four write-up. It's th- this is a higher skilled um, task that they perform, and it's supposed to only be done by labor grade three millwrights. Well, the, these couple of guys who are labor grade fours have been assigned this work for literally for years. Yeah. They've been doing this yes, work. Yes, they have. They've been getting misclass pay, so they've been getting paid every 90 days they get back pay. And, um, and, and I think they're probably going to get promoted pretty soon, but, um, you know, this is a perfect example of what the company does. These two guys are pretty talented, right? So they assign them work that they're not being paid to do. Yeah. And that's, it's wrong. It's just wrong. wrong. Yeah. We had the same thing in the paint shop. Um, we had a bunch of new hires. They needed people that were able to paint aircraft, not just small parts and assemblies. And this group of new hires was doing a great job, got trained up quick, um, was doing Bondo and all sorts of other prep work. And same thing. It was clearly defined in all the write-ups. Um, yep. I don't know. It, it's it, it, Like I said in the beginning, it's rampant, right? Yeah. They do it all the time. They really don't care. Management doesn't seem to care yep. that this is a problem. Yeah. And, and I think that's at the core of the problem, right? Let's assign the work properly, train people, and promote them Absolutely. when they're when they're doing that that work. Well, and I think one of the ways you properly assign the work based on the job descriptions is by utilizing your lead people who actually understand yep. the and have yeah. the way that work should be right. assigned. Who many should be doing of, what? You know, many years of experience as well. They'll yeah. hire in a, working leads have. They'll hire a supervisor off the street with no experience yep. and say, "Okay, you go assign the work." Yeah, it makes no sense. And, and, no sense. and he or she doesn't even know what a millwright is. Yep. <laughs> right. Um, so, so there's some things that we need to know about misclass grievances. Right. In order to grieve this condition, you have to be performing that work of the higher rated employee for the majority of the time over a 90-day period. So you can't file this grievance if they just do it once. Yeah. Right? But I do want to clarify, though, it is the practice, uh, practicable majority of Correct. a 90-day yeah. period. Correct. So if a job only comes up twice over a 90-day period and you perform that job twice— You've performed it a hundred percent of the time, with which is the practicable majority of the ninety-day period. No question, no question. So you know, I always argue these cases based on um, how management assigns the work. In other words, in in the case of these millwrights, um, the argument was made early on in these grievances that well, you know, we think they're only doing it about twenty days out of ninety days, so it's not the practicable majority of of ninety days. Well. My argument was every time one of those jobs comes up, it's assigned to them. A hundred percent of the time, they yeah. get assigned those jobs. So for me, that's a misclass. Yeah, right. Yep. 
I'd say more often than not, it's based on the number of times the job was available in that 90-day period, not a straight number of 46 days is correct. the majority of 90 days. Yep, correct. So, um, but, it, but it is important that, you know, there is a 90-day period where y- you have to be doing this work, right? Yeah. Now, that's not to say you can't raise your hand. If you're assigned work that you're not rated to do, this doesn't mean that you have to sit there and do the work uh, until you hit 90 days, yeah. right? You can raise your hand and say, I'm not rated to do this work. I'm not being paid to do this work. I don't want to do this work. And your steward will go and try to compel your management team to stop assigning that work to you. Yeah. Right. Now, keep in mind, Steve is not saying to go and deny a, a order from management. Don't refuse yeah, to don't, do a job. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Comply and grieve, yes. right? That is always the rule. Um, unless you're being asked to do something unlawful or unsafe, yeah. you have to comply with the order and then grieve it. Yeah. And I think importantly, you want to make sure that you get the steward involved early. So if you're looking yep. to set up a 90-day misclass and you're at the start of that you know, 90-day period thinking, they're having me work outside my description, I'm going to start you know, counting up now. Get the steward involved so that they can advise you yep. on what to look for and Absolutely. how to lay out that case. And the other thing that people do sometimes is they take good notes of what they're working yes. on. Yes, that's and really important. Very important. As a steward, when you're trying to go through somebody's labor charging for 90 days and identify where the jobs are that are the higher rated jobs, if you've kept good notes of what you're doing, it's going to make your case stronger and our job easier. Absolutely. Yes. So falling back on on the example that I brought up, you know, bring a notebook with you. Monday, this date, I welded a cabinet. Yeah. Yep. Right? You're not supposed to be welding as a labor grade four. Write it down. Yeah. Right? Write it down. We're dealing, the misclasses that I'm dealing with now are in final assembly inspection. And it's clearly defined in the job codes that shake is a labor grade four job. Yep. And what they're doing is they're telling our labor grade sixes, you need to go up front and shake is done at the end of the build, position right. one. There, and it's also the last inspection. So this is our last chance to identify issues and correct them. And quality management believes that any any labor grade six can go up and buy back those crabs because buying back a crab, in their opinion, is just a crab buyback. And our point to them was you have an AOS called Shake and you start that AOS by having inspection look through and inspect an area, generate crabs, then manufacturing does the crabs, repairs yeah. the, the issues, and then we reinspect and close out all the crabs and then close the shake AOS. That's part yeah. of the shake. Right? Yeah. So I said to the manager, when can you declare that shake has been complied with, is bought out and done? Do you have to have bought back all the crabs? Well, my opinion is that the shake is just the inspection and writing the crabs, not buying them back. Well, our opinion is it's the whole procedure Absolutely. for the AOS. Yeah. So it's just ridiculous, the arguments that they'll go to <laughs> to try and, you know. Yeah get people to work outside of their their job code. Yeah, and that's the thing that I don't yeah. understand. You know, they make such an effort to to do this. Yep. Something I like to do as a steward is when somebody thinks they have a misclass, not only do I give them their job description, I'll give them the the one above them so they can compare the two and look at the work that they're doing yep. and say, "Am I am I working in this higher write-up?" Right. And if they are, then it's like think about 
start taking notes, yep. think about what you're doing, and then we, we could get a case together and yeah. go so at it. <laughs> that's really the most important thing about a misclass grievance. It starts with you understanding your job description. Yep. And, and like you said, Vin, the job description above you yeah. Yeah. as well. And a misclass, just to, to kind of sum up, it's the one time that we can kind of push the company's hand to give out more money. Uh, for a wage, but the burden of proof is on us. Yes. So if you can't prove your case, then we can't win it. Exactly. So, um, you know, the common resolution to these grievances, when we're successful in the grievance procedure on misclass grievances, you're going to get 90 days of of back pay. In other words, you're going to get an adjustment in your pay for the previous 90 days to take you up to that next grade. Right. Yep. As if you were promoted for those ninety days, yeah. Yeah. right? So, so that's the that's the resolution that we seek, um, or a cease and desist, one or the other, right. right? So, what else? That I I think that kind of flows into job evaluation, right? Which is super complicated to some people. So, going back to the reason for telling you to get the steward involved quick for a misclass, um, you want the steward's expertise because there's times where you might not be misclassified. There might not be a job description that accurately portrays the work you're doing. Correct. And in that case, the steward's going to refer you to what's called a job evaluation steward, which is a specialized steward that looks at job descriptions. Yep. So when you request job evaluation, they're going to coordinate with your labor steward. They're going to set up a meeting with you. They're going to come with all of the job descriptions, and you're basically going to sit down, go through all those descriptions, and go through the work that you've been performing and figure out where does this line up? You know, Is this encompassed in any of these write-ups, or do we have a true need to look at these jobs, maybe add or delete some information and reevaluate, which is an entire process in itself? Yep. So, so what I always tell people, the, the way I explain job evaluation is, you know, starting with exactly what you said, if, if you're performing work that's not in your job description, right, you should be raising your hand yes. to find out why that is, right? right. Absolutely. Are you misclassed? Is it a job evaluation? So you, it starts with that. I'm performing work that's outside of my job description. Get me a steward. If you end up with a job evaluation steward, you're going to get one of three answers from that job evaluation steward. The first answer is you're not performing work that's outside of your job description, and that steward will point to something in your job description sure. that he or she believes covers the work that you're doing. The second possible answer is, yeah, you're performing work outside of your job description. However, it resides in another job description, and we're going to go talk to management and make sure they properly assign that work. Right. right. So that's the end of that. The third possible answer is what prompts a full job evaluation, which is, yes, you're performing work outside of your job description. We can't find it in any other job description. So we're going to do a full job evaluation to, to petition the company to add that to your job description and pay you more money for doing your job. Right. Right. And I think it's worth noting there's times where your job may change. Um, and you might instinctively think, oh, my job changed, so it should be re-rated and rated higher. That's yep. not necessarily always the yeah, case. Right. So if the change is some sort of technology that made your job drastically easier, then re-rating that job might actually take points away or lead right. to a, a lower <laughs> yeah, rating. Right. So it's something that you, you definitely want the expertise of a job evaluation person to look at the totality of the agreement or the description, rather, and figure out, is this worth pursuing? So um, a couple of things we need to know about job evaluation. I, I think the most important thing that members need to understand about job evaluation is that 
it's a painfully slow process. Yes, right? it is. Right. So if and and I've seen it time and time again where where members are making what we believe are legitimate claims, right? That they're they're performing this work outside of their job description, their job should be upgraded. And they get very frustrated with how slow the process is. And it just is slow. There's a lot of contention in this process. The company pushes back all the time on job evaluations. And and I think the one piece of advice I can give members is just be patient. Yeah. Right? Because it's going to take a while. Yeah. And we've, all, we've heard Rocco say it before. When you're upgrading a job code, you're, grade, you're upgrading the entire code yep. and all of the employees in it. So this isn't going to the company and saying, hey, this one employee needs a 60 cent promotion or a $2 promotion. Right. You're upgrading the entire occupational group which is a substantial cost. Yes, and that's that's hard to swallow for the company sometimes. So the, you know, a perfect example of of how that works is a recent case that happened in the 14 occupational group which uh, which are the dynamic component um, assemblers. We had 10 people who were performing work that was clearly outside of their job description. Um, and it, it warranted a job evaluation. We went through the job evaluation, and, and the union determined that the job should be upgraded. The company pushed back hard because those 10 people doing that work was going to prompt 95 people to get upgraded because you upgrade the job. Like you said, you don't upgrade the people, you upgrade the job. So the company pushed back hard, and, and this particular job evaluation probably took at least a year and a half to accomplish maybe more than that it might have been more than that Um, but so it took a really long time we were on the doorstep of an arbitration on this particular case and the company finally relented and upgraded (laughs) 95 people but listen now the company has an opportunity right they can train those other people, right? Those 85 other people who weren't doing the work, they can train them to do the work and they have a pretty large pool of people who are capable of doing that work. Yeah. So it does benefit them in a way, right? They just have to do the work to train those people. Sometimes you could have the best case in the world. It could seem like it's black and white and, you know, should be a slam dunk case, but the company just doesn't agree. Right. And doesn't want to, not even doesn't agree. They might know in the back of their head they're wrong, but they're refusing to settle. Yep. And you have to take it, like Steve said, all the way to the point of threatening arbitration where they finally realize, oh, all right, we're about to get called on it. Yeah, we're going to lose this. Yeah. So, you know, again, patience is essential in this process because more often than not the company pushes back pretty hard and and fights us for months and months and months on on these job evaluation cases so what else well we see crossing occupational groups a lot that's an important absolutely so for anybody that doesn't know an occupational group is the group that you're a part of whether you're mechanics electricians crib attendants uh, it's the group that you're a part of and they're non-interchangeable that means you cannot cross back and forth. Right. Yes. Yeah, the, the contract speaks to those non-interchangeable occupational groups. So when when you say it's non-interchangeable, right, you, you can't work people between them. Yes. Right. So we have specific loan language to loan to a different occupational group. Right. And you can do that for up to 30 days. Yep. But this is something that should be done in communication with the union. Yep. And it's something that should not be bastardized where we loan somebody for a day or for three days or a week and then pull them back and go back and forth. Correct. Back and, There's forth. A, and, and I say that all the time to management. There's no back and forth. When you're loaning yeah. somebody, you loan them for however long you want 
to loan them up to 30 days, and then they go back. Once they go back, they're back. Right. And that's not go back for one day and then return to the loaned group for nope. another 30 days. Nope. It's a one-time loan. Yeah. So if, if you're ever loaned to a different group or no people are on loan, and that seems to be the case where it's just going back and forth or it's repeated every 30 days, let your steward know. Yeah. So, so just to be clear, so all of our members understand, right? The purpose of that loan language, right? The purpose of the language that allows for a 30-day loan is to allow the company some time to hire people, right? They identify a need in a certain occupational group. They loan people to that occupational group to fill that need, right? And it's only to give them time to hire people to permanently fill that need. That's the purpose of that language. I know that we get away from that here and there, right? We sometimes use loans to fill what is just a temporary need, right? Not a need that is ever going to require hiring people, right? So we do use that language to fill temporary needs, but still we need to stick to that language, stick to that 30 day limit, um, and, and make sure that, you know, the company isn't like you said, bastardizing that. The other case I could think of would be, we use our hanger people a lot in final assembly. There are 16 knot group mechanics. We have them work in the 15 knot group that happens at times where the hanger is extremely slow and it prevents, you know, a potential, uh, layoff or reduction in the hanger rock group. Yep. Um, and there's times where a 30-day loan gets extended beyond 30 days, but there's a process in place for the union to be notified, for the union to kind of have the first right of refusal on that, and to make sure that things are being properly tracked. So you might let your steward know of the issue, and they might not necessarily file a grievance that day, but it's going to allow them to track the issue and make sure that it's being properly handled. Yeah. So again, you, you started to say if you're moved or even just asked to do work, that should be assigned to someone in another occupational group, right? This is this is different than that misclass and all that stuff, yeah. right? This is crossing occupational groups. It's a violation of yeah. our contract. You should definitely get your steward involved so that your steward can go to management and say, what is this, right? Is this a loan or are you just violating the contract and crossing occupational groups? We've seen this in tool cribs as well. The hangar was one of them, VH as well where when they don't have as many crib attendants as they need, they'll try to call in a mechanic or an electrician to help out. Yep. Um, so not only does that have some tool control concerns, but you're crossing occupational groups there. Yes. And there's cases where they're allowed to do it if they've made the effort to call in all the other tool Just crib attendants yep. on yep. all the other shifts. Yep. But what people should realize is that agreement came about by grieving crossing occupational yeah. group grievances. Yep. So we got them to the point where they're going to offer it to everybody on the off shifts, yeah. knowing that we're going to grieve it if they don't. So let's talk about why this is important, right? Because some of our members truly don't understand why it's important. Um, and and, and I, I, I think people need to understand that this is one of the ways that we make sure that our employer employs as many people as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because if we allow them to cross occupational groups and use mechanics to do electrical work and plumbing work and um, eventually they're not going to need electricians and plumbers. Yeah. Right. And they'll lay them all off. So I want to give a few examples from my my end of the shop, because I think where I am, there's probably never going to be loans. So Mm. in my department, we have we have two different occupational groups. We have mechanics and we have machine I should say machine repair mechanics and we have electronic technicians so what I would do is I go out to a machine and we think maybe the motor's bad 
So we call out an electronic technician, and they actually figure out if the motor is bad. Okay. And then we'll have them unwire it, but then I'm actually re- removing the motor, and then I would install a new motor, and they would rewire another one. Right. Same thing with other other jobs and maintenance. You're not going to have carpenters doing electricians' work. I mean, I don't. You can't. You just can't. You can't. Yeah. yeah. HVAC. You're not going to have an HVAC guy doing millwrights work. So it, in maintenance, there's not a lot of that crossing. I mean, it does happen from time to time, but there, I don't think there would ever be any kind of loans. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't either. So don't we, either. we had one, we had a case in final assembly. Years back, we had a redeployment. So we had a reduction in our work. We had to have employees go to other occupational groups and take jobs in those OC groups. And at the time, all of our employees that used to do electrical terminations were moved to other occupational groups. So they got to a point where they needed these terminations to be done to keep the build going. And what they would do is they'd go up to avionics, get a different occupational group avionics employee with termination experience, Bad. and have them come down to final assembly and do the work of a 23-OC group electrician who's yep. out on redeployment getting paid a lower wage. Yep. That is the most important case yeah. where you raise your hand. Absolutely. And at the time, we didn't have the employee there. So we as the stewards raised our hand. Ultimately, those employees were brought back to their jobs. So it's literally defending jobs at you know the most basic yeah. level. Yeah, no question. And 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 listen, when, when certain violations happen, and we're going to talk about a couple coming up a little later um, that really fall into this category, but there are some violations that are just worse when we have people out on layoff yeah. or on a redeployment, things like that, right? The violation just becomes more egregious, yep. right? And that's one of them. So- Really important that again, and 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 I guess we'll say this at the end of every segment, right? It's really important to keep your eye on things and raise your hand when these yes. things are happening, right? Exactly. Get the union involved. Even if you're not going to be the one to grieve it, you're going to provide information to the steward, and the steward's going to go and call the company on that information. Yeah. They're going to say, "I know what you're doing," and it feels good as a steward to have the company know that you've got eyes and ears all over and you're aware of what's going on. Yeah. Right. Makes them think twice about doing it again. Absolutely. So um, what else? Promotional bypasses. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a big one. It is. In in the sense that it hurts people, right? It, it definitely hurts people. I don't think it's incredibly common. It certainly happens. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's one that we see every day, right? But very important for us to keep our eye out on it. And and again, um, this is up to you as a member to know where you stand on the seniority list, right? And understand your job descriptions and all that stuff. Yes, exactly. Um, but what is a promotional bypass? So if a junior employee is promoted and you're senior to them and you're not promoted, that would be a promotional bypass. Yeah. Yep. A lot of times the steward is going to catch this by checking reports that we get on a monthly basis. Yeah. But if you're ever aware of a promotional bypass, raise your hand right away. Yeah, absolutely. You right technically away. have 15 days from when you're reasonably made aware to file that grievance. Yep. And and listen, when you're reasonably made aware of that promotion is when the union gets the promotion list. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's really the, the technically when when you your 15 days starts. But to Jason's point, you should be raising your hand as soon as you know about that promotion. Definitely. If you were bypassed, you need to raise your hand. So the contract is clear about how promotions are done, right? Uh, promotions are made on the basis of co-equal standards of seniority, ability, 
and fitness of the employees, right? So seniority is only one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. But a bypass happens when they promote out of seniority order, right? You raise your hand at that point, and it's going to be up to, this is one of the rare cases where the company has the burden of proof, right? right? If we call them on a promotional bypass, if we raise our hand and say, you promoted someone junior to me, I should have been promoted, it's now up to the company to show why they did that, right? Why, for some reason, that promoted employee exceeded you in fitness and ability, those other exactly. two factors, mm-hmm. Right. So you can make that request. The The contract says that the company is obligated to show why they made that promotion if you ask them to. Yeah. Right. So let's just go go through what it looks like. Right. If someone in your department is promoted or someone is transferred out of your department and promoted in their new department. Right. So so if that transfer comes with a promotion. OK. Um, you have the right to grieve that if you're senior to that yeah. person, right? So it can be a, a promotion in a different department as long as that promoted employee was transferred out of your department and given a promotion at the same time. Right. Yep. So um, that, that might be a little confusing for some people, but sure. that's important, right? Someone junior to me gets transferred into department J, right? And gets bumped up to a labor grade two from a labor grade three. I can grieve that. Yep. And there might be a reason that a bypass occurs from the company's perspective. You might have high points or poor performance, whatever it may be. Um, I have an example. Go ahead. I would call it... <laughs> inept management where they don't get the proper seniority list so we actually have an example of this where they just bypass a few people and it's like well i thought i had the the right seniority list and they they didn't so that was actually where i was going with this so (laughs) one of two things is going to happen when you allege a promotional bypass they're either going to say yeah we don't think you deserve it or they're going to say oh my god we had no idea it happened uh which i had one of those recently (laughs) me too too. it's crazy (laughs) yeah and 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 listen, quite frankly, that's on human resources, yeah, right? Yeah. Human resources it should be vetting every promotion and making sure that the seniority is intact. Yeah, and totally this agree. one case that I had, one of our employees was listed in the in their previous department. Um, they were in the correct occupational group, but listed in the previous department. And when the company filtered their list by department to look at promotions, that employee didn't show up. Incredible. So that that yeah that's so that's a glitch I guess yeah. right you know and that was one that I wasn't aware of by catching it on our report that was yeah. an employee who just happened to stop by and ask about promotions and when I looked it up I was like oh my god you know we got an issue yeah. here yeah yeah uh, so if you have a question call a steward because sometimes yes. it leads to a two promotion two labor grade promotion jump <laughs> right you never know <laughs> right so just important to make sure you're raising your hand right raise your hand if if a promotion happens out of seniority order but make sure that we're doing it the right way right it has to be someone in your department or who was just transferred out of your department and it has to be in your occupational group right yeah so if you're on final assembly and you're working in department, you know, whatever, 3,200, 3,200, right? Um, you're, you're an electrician and they promote a mechanic. You can't grieve that. Right. You're an electrician. So that's not a grievable promotion, right? So let, we have to kind of stay in our lanes. Yeah. Yep. Right. 
while we're talking about different departments, maybe it's a good time to get into the overtime grievances that would come up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there's a few different, we have our standard overtime reviews that we do, but there's a few different scenarios where you would file a grievance immediately for an overtime related issue. One of those would be if an employee from outside the overtime area or occupational group performs your work. Yep. Um, so if somebody's brought in, we have different overtime areas. Those can be different from the department, but if somebody from outside the overtime area is brought in, even on another shift, you should request a steward. Yes. Um, if you're on second shift and on first shift they brought someone in from outside the area, you should have been called in to perform that work. Yes. So it's it's worth grieving that, and hopefully we can get you paid. Or if you're on second shift and they bring first shift people in and let them work into your shift, right? So on a Saturday, for instance, typically – Saturday shifts, our first shift is 6 to 11 a.m. Second shift is 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., right? If they bring first shift in and let them work 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. and they don't ask second shift, that's a violation, right? They've brought somebody in from another overtime area. And you can really do a solid for the people on the other shifts if you let your steward know when that's going on, if you're the ones working, because then the other shift can go grieve it and potentially get their members paid. And more importantly than getting a free paycheck, it's going to force the company to do things correctly. Right. And that's ultimately, listen, that's what the grievance procedure is for. Right. Right. It's to keep the company in check and to correct them, to make sure that in the future they do things properly. So the next one that you're going to want to think about is if the lead person is getting what we'd consider to be a favored status with regard to the overtime offering. And that's a little ambiguous, but... Right. So the lead people have their right to a fair share of the overtime. This isn't meant to prevent them from getting their fair share. It's meant to prevent the lead from being brought in to perform work normally or exclusively done by other employees. So if you're qualified to do a job and they say, sorry, leads only, you got to stay home. Well, that's not necessarily the way things are supposed to go. Yep. Uh, but let's clarify a little bit, right? Because I want to make sure people aren't raising their hand every time their lead gets right. an hour overtime more than they do. Because if a lead is coming in to perform exclusively lead work, in other exactly. words, preparing jobs to be assigned and yeah. things like that, then or, or you know paperwork that the lead only does, yes. that that's okay. The company can do that. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't be qualified to perform that work. Right. So right. it's not something you'd be able to grieve. Yep, absolutely. So let's get into a couple that I think are, are really big ones and we're having some problems with. Yes. Um, the, the first one is salary performing hourly work. Our hourly job descriptions are part of the collective bargaining agreement. Yep. Um, and, and they apply to hourly employees only, right? That's why they're called hourly job descriptions. So when a salaried employee performs work that's called out in an hourly job description, that's a violation of our contract, right? And this is, for me, a particularly egregious offense, right? Agreed. They, they need to be using us to perform our work. I don't sit down at a supervisor's desk and do time and attendance. Exactly. I don't want my supervisor coming into my area and performing my work. Yep. I don't know how common this one is. I guess it depends on the job. Yeah. Depends on the area. One of the ones that I see all the time in my areas is when supervisors do what I consider to be expediter's work, right? A supervisor goes into an area, he's got a morning meeting coming up, right? Goes into an area with a notebook, starts looking in tubs, looking at parts, 
writing down the status of every part in that department. Yep. So he can go armed into his morning meeting. That's a violation of the contract. So just because it's easy to do, right, just because you don't need a particular skill set to do that doesn't mean it's okay to do, right? That is clearly defined as an expediter's job. Expediter's status parts, status jobs, status departments. That's their job is to do statusing of stuff, right, of our work. So they're supposed to do that and pass that information on to the supervisor. The supervisor should be tasking them with that. Hey, I have an eight o'clock meeting every morning. I need a status on this department by 745 every morning. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Not go through the department themselves and do it. Some of our people are their own worst enemies with this. Your lead person is not there just to order your parts. And the supervisor is not the lead man's assistant to go get those parts. So please do not utilize the supervisor as a parts chaser. That's not their job. Right. Uh, I have an example from my area. Moving tools and or parts from a supplier to the plant or between plants and a company truck. That's a no-no. That's something that should be done by an hourly person. Anywhere in maintenance, you know, a chiller by HVAC and anything of that nature, uh, ear tools. Yeah, we see it happen. yeah, we see it happen with supervisors bringing stuff yep. from plant to plant. Well, I'm already going there. Right. Yeah, but you could go there and supervise, but you're not going to go there and deliver tools. Yep. Engineers as well. Yeah. Right? You know, engineer says, oh, I got to bring this this thing. You know, we, we have a gear that's all wired up for stress testing. I'm going to bring it down to the lab. Well, yep. no, you're not. You're, you'll go down to the lab and you'll get a PC person to drive it down there, right, to take it down there. That, that's that's the way it's supposed to work. They don't move parts. These might seem like minor offenses too, but and people probably don't believe it. There's times where we've caught managers, supervisors working on the aircraft yes. with cutters, cutting things. I've seen, <laughs> I've been told stories that I don't even want to repeat. You know, this manager, there was a chafing issue. The manager used his belt to yeah. pull it over. Yep. What? Oh, yeah. How does that, that's not how you fix something. Right. It's not how you do it. And that's not the person to do it. But yeah. all of these in the time I've been a steward, you notice they, they come incrementally. And yep. what they do is it, they test the culture of, are people going to call you? Are you going to call them out on it? And right. if you allow them to have a culture where they get away with uh, doing expediting work, doing, you know, parts chasing and little things like that, they're going to take more and more liberties until they're at the point of working on an aircraft. Yep. So you have to shut it down. You have yeah, to let you your do. steward know. You do. Um, it, you reminded me of when I was a young steward, and I think, you know, I look back on this and I lost my mind at the time, but I laugh about it now. But I came into work one morning an hour early, right? I was on an hour overtime. And as I was walking by the paint shop in Shelton, the overhead door to the paint booth starts opening and there's a supervisor, the paint shop supervisor, spraying in a full Tyvek suit, respirator on, spray gun in his hand, and he had just finished painting a gearbox, a hot gearbox that had to go out, right? So instead of calling in one of his painters and having his painter work a couple hours overtime and paint a gearbox, he decided to do it himself. That's terrible. It's it's outrageous, right? And and listen, those types of things hardly ever happen, right? Yeah. That takes some some chutzpah to, to do that, right? But but it does happen, right? And we have to be aware of it. But You know, it's the little things that if we let them get away with it, 
they're going to continue to get away with it, and they're going to push the envelope over and over and over again. You know, you shouldn't let them move parts. You shouldn't let them do any of that stuff, right? One of the really common things is supervisors assigning work, right? It is a working leech job to assign work. The supervisor shouldn't be going into the department and saying, okay, Charlie, you work on this job. Bob, you work on this job. Mary, you work on this job. That shouldn't happen. That supervisor should be talking to the lead, talking about the priorities of the day, and let the lead assign the work based on the priorities. And this is the problem we're having with quality right now in finals, where they think, oh, we'll go assign people to do the work. They're assigning sixes to do four work and saying, well, we disagree that it's four work. And, you know, to make matters worse, this is the same management that has been stamping out hourly operations in Salumina on the computer that, you know, it's ready for shake or ready for this. And when we called them on that, the manager had the nerve to say, I view myself like the top inspector, like an attorney, attorney general's the top cop. You're not an inspector. Right. And if you have a stamp... And I'm going to incriminate myself, and the statute of limitations has expired on this because it was probably 25 years ago that I did this. But I had a supervisor who loved to stamp out stuff in in operation sheets, um, and I took a cigarette lighter and melted his stamp Good. so that he couldn't do it ever again. <laughs> Good. It's, right? yeah. So um, I'm not advocating that. I don't think anybody should do that. I think if— if this is the case, right, if your supervisor's doing your job, raise your hand, get a steward. Absolutely. Involved. And that goes to show what they think about your job. Right. That shows how much respect they have for yep. the quality of the aircraft and for the job you do as a quality yeah. person. They don't. So I, I think we kind of slide right into one that, for me personally right now, is, is the hot button yeah. issue, right? Uh, I'm not suggesting that this is the hot button issue across the company, but it is certainly one of them right yes, now. Yes, it is. A- and that's it's really similar to what we just talked about. It's non-Sikorsky personnel performing hourly work. Big problem right now in our factory, yes. especially with the facilities maintenance yes. department. So what's going on right now is the company is using contractors to come in and do carpentry work, electrician's work, plumber's work, millwright's work. Um, and HVAC. HVAC work. And I always forget HVAC. Yeah. I don't know why. I apologize to the HVAC guys. <laughs> um, and, and listen, this is on its surface a violation of the contract, yes. right? We employ plumbers, electricians, HVAC, millwrights, carpenters as hourly employees in our maintenance department. So if the company wants to use contractors to do that work, at the very least, they need to come to us before yeah, they do that, absolutely. and they're not doing that, right? Um, they're they're not bringing these to what we call our letter twenty yep. meetings, which is a, a a quarterly meeting where the company has to declare any outsourcing, right? Bringing a contractor into the building to do our work is outsourcing. Yeah. It doesn't have to go out of the building. You can have people come in the building and yeah. do our work. It's still outsourcing. A couple I want to add to is so people look out for us in the garage if they're jobbing any of the work out and in the powerhouse if they're bringing in anybody to do your job. I want you to know to look out for that. Yeah, and and, and listen, I want every member to look out for this because we need everyone. Yes, we do. If if you're if you are a final assembly mechanic and you look down the line and you see a guy with, you know, w- with a contractor's uniform on yep. fixing a machine or, you know, or building a wall or, or painting a wall. Raise yep. your hand. 
let your steward know so at least your steward can yeah. can start to investigate that. We, we need everybody's eyes and yeah. ears. We want eyes and ears all over the shop because especially in maintenance, this has been going on for a very long time and it's become too commonplace and it's it's time for it to stop. Yeah, and listen, we have a ton of grievances in the process yes. right now. Um, at least a dozen grievances right now in the grievance procedure um, at various levels of the procedure about contractors coming in, doing our maintenance work. Um, and, you know, we've been looking for a conversation on this for quite some time. Yeah. A, a conversation at a high level. And thus far, the company's been unwilling to engage in that conversation. And until they do, we have no recourse other yeah. than to continue to file grievances. Yeah. Right. And Have we a conversation. Will. Right. <laughs> and, and we will continue. And, and, and we are going to do that. Right. Um, un until the company comes to the table and has a conversation. Yeah, and for anybody that thinks it doesn't happen in, in other areas, it does. It absolutely. Uh, does. It happens in our paint shop. They outsource parts to prestige down the yep. street. Yep. And it's funny, I used to get complaints from the painters that would talk about how they had to repair, you know, crabs on paintwork coming back in. And prestige has been paid. A hundred percent, like they did the work perfectly. I know. And then our people eat the cost Terrible. of fixing it. Yeah. I know. Um, it, it's really frustrating. And listen, when the company does stuff like this, they're they're really good at kind of brushing us off and telling us that, oh, you know, this is okay. This is just the way it is. So what do you say to the employee that works in, in one of your departments, Vin or Steve, yeah. that says, well, I'm employed here 40 hours a week or I got overtime this weekend. What's the big deal? The you big, have it right now, but they could, obviously they're trying to push the work out to a contractor to do it, and they're going to come for your job yeah. eventually. Yep. If if you're willing to turn a blind eye to a contractor coming in and doing your work because you're getting enough overtime, yeah. uh, they're going to continue to do that to the degree that you don't have overtime and then maybe you're not employed any longer. And yep. I think something we should uh, mention too is – maintenance department was a lot larger at one time and it has gotten down to a certain point to where it is now and i think it's time to regrow it and i think people need to raise their hand and we need to go after this stuff because that's this is from years of people saying ah you know what they, they're gonna have contractors come in and do the jobs and yeah. like no it's time to stop you know i've had salary people say to me in the past years ago i i came from a plant that was a union plant and you couldn't even touch a part you'd get you know trounced yeah if you did right that. yeah Create that kind of culture, yeah, and you can be professional about it, but create the kind of environment where they fear to do your job because they know you're going to call them on it. Yep. And there's legitimate times where there's going to be stuff that's discussed at a Letter 20 meeting and outsourced. We yep. had it yep. when the 53K started. There was so much subassembly work. They had to bring in, I think it was Spirit Airlines, yeah. right? Um, but when they came into the shop, we were notified they were coming into the shop, and an hourly employee was put with one-for-one one with each of their employees. Right, and that benefits us. Right. right. That, and, that and keeps listen. us. That protects your job. Yeah. yeah. It might seem ridiculous on the outside to somebody watching, but that is protecting your job yep. by keeping you there. And, and listen, talking about this facility stuff, right, I want to be clear. We get it, right? We get certain things. Sure. We, we don't want to run a construction company from within. Yeah. Right. So we understand that there may be projects that are too big in scope and there are for us to do. But we don't want to talk about that 
through the grievance procedure, right? We want to talk about that ahead of time. Absolutely. And, and we want to be all on the same page. We want to agree with the company, okay, yeah, that project, you can go ahead and go forward with that sure. project because we acknowledge that yeah. we're not going to be able to do it. That's the conversation we want to have. Yeah, we say all the time that it's in our interest for the company to be successful. So without yeah. a doubt, whether it's extending a loan for, you know, across an OC group, as long as the company comes to the union in good faith and has a proactive conversation, I think there's very yeah. rare times that the union says no. Yeah. Yep. It's about working together and having respect for the procedure and having respect for our contract. Yes. Yep. So we've talked many times before about, you know, <laughs> Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. And, and, and I think if we wrap up this episode in one way, it's to say that, yeah. right? If, if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't look right, raise, raise your, your hand. hand. There's no harm in raising your hand, getting a steward involved in whatever issue you think you see or are experiencing, and, and have your steward yeah. walk you through that and let's figure it out. And it's also not always something that has to go to your supervisor. Just to ask a question, Right. it's good to at least ask the question and then go let it go from there right so i think that pretty much does it right we, we've given you folks some some i think good foundation for recognizing certain situations recognizing what a grievance may be what a valid grievance may be um and and please don't hesitate again a good union member is simply a union member who's willing to exercise his or her rights. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. So raise your hand. You're, you're paying dues to pay for that representation. So use it, right? I think the only ones we didn't talk about is if you're issued discipline, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, and it, it, it's probably worth mentioning. So if you're ever given a verbal warning, a written warning, a suspension, or discharged, you have to file a grievance. Always grieve it. Yeah. So, you know, we might not have got into those. Those It kind of goes without saying. Um, yep. But definitely, if you're ever having a conversation that you think could lead to discipline, could affect your working conditions, you call for a steward right away. Yep. Yeah. So don't don't ever say, well, I deserved that. So uh, I'm not going to do anything yeah. about it. Agreed. Call for a steward because maybe you did deserve discipline, but maybe you got a little more discipline than you deserved, yeah. right? Um, we know what you deserved and what you didn't deserve, right? Yeah. We know what the the common levels of discipline are for certain infractions, and, and we can—part of our job is to make sure that discipline you receive is fair and, and equal, Right. So let us do that job. If you get discipline, great point, Jason. If you get discipline, always get a steward involved. Always talk to the union about it. Okay, so we have some upcoming events. First, we need to make sure that people remember that we've waived the summer membership meetings. So there are no membership meetings coming up until September 21st. That'll be the next membership meeting. That's Wednesday, September 21st, as always. 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock, uh, but we'll continue to, to mention that in upcoming episodes. We do have the 20th annual Scholarship Fund Golf Tournament coming up uh, on Saturday, September 10th. That's at the Alliance Club at Oxford Greens, so put that on your calendar. I believe they're taking, um, they're, they're selling foursomes now, so if you want to sign up to play in that tournament or become a sponsor in that tournament, just talk to Ed Smith. Call down here at Union Hall and talk to Ed Smith and, um, and get your name on that list. Contract surveys, right? They're live. 
they're open. You can take them as many times as you want. Just to remind people, the link that you see or the QR code that you see is the same for everybody. Um, so if you see somebody struggling or they don't know how to use a computer, they have a flip phone, help them out, scan the, the code, uh, go to the website, help them type it in if they need to. It's going to make a huge difference for us trying to yeah. compile them. Do people still have flip phones? There yes. are a striking yes. number of members who have flip phones. Wow. <laughs> and one safety steward, and you know who you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> 2004 called. They want their phone back. <laughs> Yeah. So while we're out, you know, on summer recess here, uh, keep in mind that if you've downloaded our app, we've got a calendar in the app under uh, news and events. You can actually, if you click the button on the top right, see a list view of all the events that are coming up. We're going to keep loading those in there. Uh, we have a lot of caucuses within our union that have started kind of kicking off meetings, trying to grow their memberships. Yep. Uh, we've got our futures caucus, which I'm a part of. We've got the Women's Committee. Uh, they actually have another meeting coming up on July 12th at Union Hall at 4 p.m. Um, there's the Pride Group that just started. Yep. We've got TNBC. Uh, the veterans have TVC. Yep. So there's pretty much a caucus for everybody. If there's not one for you, then by all means, come on down and talk about start Starting. one. Yeah. Um, but keep checking our, our app and keep checking the calendar and get involved. Yep, absolutely. So, um, Vinny. We got any uh, anything going on out there in the um, the the world of organized labor? Yes, we do. We have Starbucks uh, doing a little bit of re retaliation against the the union. So really? Starbucks is telling its baristas that unionizing could jeopardize their gender affirming healthcare coverage for transgender employees of the company. So they're trying to use this as an issue to uh, persuade people not to vote in favor of a union. So they're they're really going with targeting people's gender identity yes as as a reason not to unionize yes hmm. which is, is pretty terrible if you ask me uh, howard schultz is pushing the uh what he thinks is the shortcomings of collective bargaining and trying to also trying to use giving uh non-unionized starbucks locations wage hikes while saying that the unionized ones are going to have to negotiate for them awesome uh, obviously they're scared because we're over 150 Starbucks unionized stores with the first one in Connecticut and West Hartford. Awesome. So if if anybody out there is listening who's involved in a in a Starbucks organizing campaign or is a Starbucks worker who's thinking about, you know, starting something like that, don't be afraid. Don't be yes. scared by by that rhetoric. Listen, if those of us who are in unions understand it, if the CEO is giving pay raises to every unorganized store in the country and saying that the unionized ones have to bargain for it, it's not going to be difficult to bargain for it, right? That's not a tough sell. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. It's going to be a pretty easy point to bargain. They did have a store that was one of the first to unionize that they actually just shut down. I don't yeah. know if you guys uh, caught that. Pretty, that pretty messed Ithaca, up. Ithaca, right? Ithaca, yeah. Yeah, that's right out of the Walmart playbook. Yeah, right. That, Walmart that, does that. They're reviewing that, but the, the employees brought forward some safety concerns about, I think, a grease trap. And they said, oh, yeah, you're right. This this building's a dump. We're going to close down. <laughs> so it's just one I, more. I shouldn't laugh but because so. it's terrible for the people who lost their jobs in that shutdown. But, um, but yeah, these are the disgusting uh, what should be illegal tactics that these companies use. So yeah. uh, to underline what's going on at Starbucks, Starbucks Workers United started a campaign called 
hashtag no contract, no coffee. It's a pledge to stand in solidarity with the Starbucks workers in the push for their first contract. I, I believe uh, what they're trying to do is either have people not go to Starbucks if Starbucks won't come to the table or there might be other actions going on. There might be something you want to check out. Uh, I signed up to get information on it, and I think that uh, I'm going to have their back all the way. Cool. What else? Uh, so Mike, Microsoft will be neutral with the Activision Blizzard Union. Microsoft is taking a proactive approach with a relationship that hasn't happened yet. This this is a partnership with the Communication Workers of America. Microsoft and the CWA entered in a labor neutrality agreement that will take effect 60 days after Microsoft acquires Activision Blizzard, which is expected to happen before June 30th of, of 2023. That's a good thing. It's a great thing. That's that's yeah. unexpected. Yeah. The agreement says they will stay neutral when the when the employees show interest in unionizing and will allow workers to freely communicate with their coworkers in a way to encourage information sharing and avoids business disruptions. So Microsoft won't hinder the workers from forming a union and the workers won't disrupt the business with work slowdowns or a strike. So I'm curious, does does Microsoft have experience with unions? I don't know. They definitely do. They, they must. probably do. I don't know offhand, but yeah, they must because that doesn't sound like a move that a yeah, company a with no labor experience yeah. makes. And they're right? laying. They're also laying groundwork with the CWA to resolve any issues that might come up. So it, they're trying to get ahead of the inevitable, I think, and, yep. and be good partners. That's awesome. Uh, so um, you know, CEOs of the world take notice, right? Absolutely. Can yeah. you please just take notice? It, so. it 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 saves us all a lot of trouble. It's a great yeah. move. People probably wonder why every week we go back to Starbucks and you know what the labor activity is. But when you see these waves happening, it emboldens other industries and other workers to make the same moves and to make the same advancements. Yep, it's important. Um, you know, Starbucks is exciting, but in the scheme of things, right, in the grand scheme of things, if you look at overall numbers of unionization across the country, it's not moving the needle, no. right? But to your point, Jason, it emboldens other workers, maybe in bigger industries, right? Maybe yeah. workers at Amazon, maybe workers at Walmart, um, who, if they organize, they will move the needle, yeah, right? Yeah. And 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 that's the wave that we're looking for. Yeah, yeah right? and for anybody who's watching, kind of wondering, too, why, like, Starbucks is this firestorm of success and then Amazon is so slow, you have to look at kind of the differences between the employers, too. So Starbucks, they're going out and they're unionizing small stores, uh, one store at a time. So yep. potentially yeah. groups that are, like, five to ten people. Right. Versus Amazon, you're trying to get thousands. Yeah. Um, so you can't have this rapid fire success that Starbucks has, no yeah. matter what you right. do. It's like, you know, for the companies, it's like trying to stop a swarm of bees. Yeah. You right. know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to stop. So for anybody that's thinking, you know, oh, well, why do I care? It's only Starbucks and, you know, the other industries aren't having the same success. It, it's not a one for yeah. one translation right. like that. No question. I think when you have a smaller store, you have more access to your your coworkers, and that you could discuss these things. And it's you know it's easier to get together on these things. And also, yep. it's a grassroots effort, and the, and the workers are doing it. And um, I think pretty soon we'll be all drinking union coffee. Nice. Um, so as always, we end every episode with um, a labor quote. What do we got? So I, I have a I have a couple. They're not directly labor, but I think they apply to labor and. Mm -hmm. um, Send some more solidarity out there for uh, for Pride Month. So, first one is uh, 
Harvey Milk. He was a, a, a visionary civil rights and a human rights leader who became the first openly gay elected official in the United States when he won the seat on the Board of Supervisors in 1977. In um, San Francisco, In right? San Francisco. Yep. Milk's un- unprecedented, loud, and unapologetic unapologetic proclamation of his authenticity as an openly gay candidate for public office in his subsequent election gave uh, never-before-experience hope to the LGBT people everywhere at a time when the community was encountering widespread hostility and discrimination. Unfortunately, his career was cut short when a little after a year uh, of being in office, he was assassinated. Mm. So this is his quote. Rights are won only by those who make their voices heard. Pretty simple, yeah, and Call pretty for a true, <laughs> right? Call for a steward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really appropriate <laughs> I mean, for today, Vinny. Right? Yeah. Rights are won only by those who yeah. make their voices heard. So raise your hand. And the second one, Marsha P. Johnson is an LGBTQ activist who became well known in New York City by being herself and fearing no judgment on her comfort as a black trans woman. In 1968. A riot broke out at the Stonewall Inn, a popular LGBTQ bar, when police officers raided the building. This became known as one of the most important events that sparked the LGBTQ rights movement. Fighting back against discrimination towards transgender people, Johnson co-founded STAR, Street Transgender Action Revolutionaries, a trans rights group that organized shelters for homeless transgender teens and drag queens. And her quote is... How many years has it, it taken people to realize that we are all brothers and sisters and human beings in the human race? I mean, how many years does it take to people to see that? We're all in this rat race together. True that. Awesome. That's good stuff. Thanks, Vinny. Appreciate that. Um, so, as always, we appreciate everybody listening. So, thanks for listening. Um, remember to email us. Tell us what you like about our show. Tell us what you hate about our show. It's comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C O M M S at teamsters1150.org. Um, always remember to download the podcast, follow our podcast, go to Podbean, yeah. follow us on Podbean. If you're not doing that, shame on you. Go do it now. Um, but until next time, we really appreciate you listening. I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Kaiti. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you next time.